RadioInfluence.com. The countdown is on to fight time. This is Big Fight Weekend. Now, here is your host, T.J. Reeves. Oh, we are back. Ring the bell. I'm looking forward to this weekend as we've got two different main event championship fights on two different sides of the country. Welcome to our latest Big Fight Weekend preview show. My name is TJ Reeves, and we are ready to rock and roll with a welterweight title showdown involving Sean Porter and a Cuban challenger. That is in Los Angeles, and we'll go all the way across the country to upstate New York for a light heavyweight showdown with a Russian champion against an American former champion, now contender. And we'll talk a lot about it here as part of Big Fight Weekend. Hope you're doing well. We've got breaking boxing news as well as we head towards the weekend that Triple G and Canelo Alvarez are now both under the same promotional umbrella. Triple G has a new deal uh, that is out there with DAZN, and that means it's going to basically set up the possibility, the strong possibility that these two fight each other later this fall. you still got some variables about fights for them to win, particularly Canelo against Daniel Jacobs. But we're going to talk more about that in just a second with Keith. Keith Eidick, who's back with me from BoxingScene.com. He wrote extensively about the story on Friday morning of Triple G signing up with a new promotional arm with DAZN. So I look forward to talking with him about that. And and I'm going to double dip my chip, as I like to say, because Keith is also covering the Bavol Smith light heavyweight showdown. Also, Maurice Hooker is fighting on the undercard of that fight, defending, defending his junior welterweight championship. So a double header on DAZN Saturday night in New York. Saturday night on Fox, it's Porter versus Ugas. Ugas, the 32-year-old Cuban challenger. Porter angling for a possible rematch with Keith Thurman. Uh, Could be looming as an opponent down the road for Errol Spence or Mikey Garcia, whoever wins that welterweight showdown next week. So uh, Porter's got a lot on the line. So we're going to be talking about that a lot through the show uh, here on the program. So Keith Eidick will be up first. A little bit later on, we will talk with the guy that oversees BigFightWeekend.com, the purveyor, the director of content. Marquise Johns will be here with me to talk about these fights this weekend, uh, to also talk a little bit about the historical perspective of boxing from this week, famous fights involving uh, Mike Tyson, involving Muhammad Ali, involving even the former welterweight champion Wilfred Benitez, who set a boxing record back in the late 1970s this week in March. So I look forward to talking with Marquise Johns and also later on here on the podcast, David Payne will be here, the boxing writer from the UK to give me some insights, some analysis. We'll talk to him about the light heavyweight showdown, Bavol and Smith. We'll talk to him a little bit about the welterweights and Sean Porter. Uh, we'll talk to him about the historical part of Ali Frazier. On uh, Down goes Frazier came later. Ali Frazier came first on March the 8th, 1971 at Madison Square Garden. So I'm going to talk to the boxing writer David Payne about that, the historical perspective of heavyweights, and much more. Uh, David's got great insight. Love having him on the podcast. Uh, So we'll have him a little bit later on in the show as well. However you found us, whether it's RadioInfluence.com or if you found us as well through uh, subscribing via iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Thank you for doing so. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast as we're going to be rolling out many more of them. And we're partnered up with the the website, BigFightWeekend.com as well for all of, obviously, the boxing news, insight, historical perspective everything that's going on with that. So I'm excited to bring you all the guests. I'm also excited to tell you about a brand new sponsor that we're bringing on to the show for these fights that are going on this weekend, whether we're talking Porter Ugas in uh, in L.A. at the at now what is the Dignity Health Sports Complex. Uh, they are no longer the StubHub Center. That sponsorship agreement uh, ended. This is the facility where the L.A. Galaxy plays soccer. This is the same facility where the L.A. Chargers have played football uh, the last couple of years. Uh, So that's where the Porter fight is, whether it's there or whether it's the Turning Stone Resort for the championship fights, including the light heavyweight showdown. New sponsor here on the podcast is Vivid Seats, and Vivid Seats has a special code for this weekend for these fights that are going to give you an additional discount off of buying your seats for the Porter Ugas fight and also for the Bivol Smith fight. Use the promo code BIGFIGHT10. It's part of Big Fight Weekend. Big Fight and the number 10 
is the promo code for this weekend, and you'll take 10% off your order if you're a new customer. If you're looking to purchase tickets for those fights or really for any of the boxing here coming, including that Spence upcoming fight with Mikey Garcia at AT&T Stadium in Arlington, again, Vivid Seats has a special promo code offer, 10% off for a new customer with the promo code BIGFIGHT. 10. So there you go. Utilize that promo code. Sign up with our friends at Vivid Seats. Um, go to their app. Go to their website. Check out. Uh, I'm sure there's some, some good ones at ringside. Some various prices in and around for both of those title fights. The Porter fight in LA. The Bavol title fight that is in New York. Check it out from Vivid Seats. And the promo code is again, Big Fight 10. Alright, let's get to it with our guests. Breaking news to cover on a Friday. Previews of the Big Fight fights this weekend in the welterweight and light heavyweight division here we go yes here he is the man that was writing uh, on friday early friday about this new triple g deal with DAZN and the implications for a possible third fight with canelo alvarez etc he is also oh, i got dual purpose here he's also covering the bavol smith light heavyweight title showdown that is coming on DAZN from the Turning Stone Resort in Verona, New York. He's Keith Eidek, who's back with me from BoxingScene.com. Keith, I, I always love your insight, especially on occasions like this. I know we don't have long to chat, but first of all, you've written about this Triple G new deal with DAZN. How big a deal is it, and how soon might we see that third fight? Oh, hey, TJ. Uh, it'll be a, a three-year contract, and it in, it'll... Uh extend to six fights, two fights per calendar year for Triple G uh, for large sums of money. Uh, the first fight probably will pay him in the neighborhood of $15 million. He'll fight in June on an undetermined date in June against an undetermined opponent. Uh, not all that threatening of an opponent because the goal here is to get him to the third fight against Canelo Alvarez on September 14th. That's no foregone conclusion, obviously, because Canelo Alvarez has a very difficult fight against Daniel Jacobs on May 4th. But if he's able to win that fight in Las Vegas, where he, let's be honest, has gotten some favorable decisions over the years, and Triple G wins his fight in June, they will fight on September 14th, probably in Las Vegas, if I had to guess. Keith, would it possibly be that Golovkin is going to fight uh, on the undercard of that Anthony Joshua, uh, Big Baby Miller showdown on June 1st for the heavyweight title? Is that, is that what's going to happen here? No, no. It'll, he'll have his own date. It'll either be June 8th, 15th, 22nd, or 29th. They want to keep it in the same uh, 30-day cycle uh, for billing purposes for DAZN because they think that will drive subscriptions. They really need to catch up subscription-wise to justify the amount of money that they've paid for a lot of these fights. Uh, the Triple G fight probably will cost them in the neighborhood of $16 million, but the Anthony joshua Jarrell Miller fight will cost them around $38 million probably, wow. uh, maybe a little bit more. Uh, the Canelo alvarez Daniel Jacobs fight will cost them roughly $46 million. These are enormous investments that are, are not really justifiable in, in a normal marketplace, in this marketplace, which is a little out of whack. They're doing what they can to get ahead of the competition. Whether it works or not, we'll find out within the next <laughs> six months to a year. Right now, the fighters are counting their money, though, which is a good thing because they're the product uh, after all. So that part is exciting. I know uh, you, speaking of exciting, you're part of the coverage of this Bavol Smith light heavyweight showdown. Uh, Maurice Hooker is also defending his title on the undercard. What in, what intrigues you about this fight card that you're going to cover here? And for the fans that are listening on Big Fight Weekend, give us uh, a thought or two here about these two fights. Uh, well, the Bivol-Joe uh, Smith Jr. fight really intrigues me in the sense that Joe Smith Jr. can really punch. He's one of the biggest punchers in the light heavyweight division. Bivol is clearly a better boxer than Joe Smith. He's, he's got a lot of experience at the international level, obviously has less professional fights than Joe Smith. But Joe, Bivol is a 25-to-1 favorite in some places over Joe Smith. I think that's, that's way off, to be honest with you, and I think it's being based on Joe Smith's fight against Sullivan Barrera, which he lost decisively, but he also fought nine-plus rounds with a broken jaw. That's not easy for anyone to do, and he's, he's to be commended for being an extremely tough guy for doing that. Uh, so he wasn't himself in that fight, and I'm not saying that he would have outboxed Sullivan Barrera had, they, had he not broken his jaw. What I am saying is that fight was a little more lopsided because of that uh he'll have to you know he'll really have to make dimitri bivol fight in this fight in the sense that he can't let him use his legs and his boxing ability to coast toward a victory which i've seen him do in his last two fights to be honest um but he's a very good boxer um he's a smart guy he can punch but i think 
he might think he's more of a super middleweight than a light heavyweight. And he did say that after his last fight, that he might be more suited for 168 pounds than for 175 pounds. He's not that much smaller than Joe Smith, but, but Joe Smith, again, is a banger. And, and, and he's going to test Dimitri Bivol's chin in this fight. And I think he's going to stand, make him stand his ground and fight at times. And I think that's why it'll be a very interesting fight. All right. And again, the hooker fight is also as, as the co-feature right under that. That's the DAZN show that's on Saturday night. I know you got to go in a moment. Porter and Ugas is on the other side of the continent Saturday night, the PBC show on Fox. And the big intrigue here, we're going to talk about this throughout the podcast, is what comes next if Porter wins. Uh, maybe Ugas is going to screw that up, but if Porter wins, maybe it's a Thurman rematch. Uh, there's all kinds of fights for Porter that are down the road if he gets this victory Saturday night, right? There is. I wouldn't suspect uh, your Dennis Ugas will screw up what uh, Sean Porter has moving forward. He's a good boxer, but but I think Sean Porter will be too much for him. He'll be a little too rough, a little too rugged. He'll muck up that fight, and, and he'll take uh, your Dennis Ugas off of his game, which is boxing and using his legs. I think Sean Porter will take that away from him enough to win this fight decisively, not necessarily by knockout, but I think he'll win the fight convincingly and then move forward to what I think what Fox wants to do is to make a rematch of the Keith Thurman, Sean Porter fight. Keith Thurman will be part of the broadcasting team from the studio on Saturday night. Fox is very interested in paying a substantial amount of money to put that fight on Fox later this year. Whether that will be next will be determined whether by whether Keith Thurman fights Pacquiao next because there's a lot more money in that fight for Keith Thurman than fighting Sean Porter again. Love this insight. Again, read this man, senior writer and columnist, BoxingScene.com. He's got the story out on Friday as we're taping this about Triple G and his new deal with DAZN. He's covering the uh, the two-title fight doubleheader on DAZN at the Turning Stone Resort in New York. He's Keith Eidick with me. Keith, thank you. I, I know you made time for me and extra effort for me, and I appreciate you hopping on the Big Fight Weekend podcast, sir. We'll be reading you. Thank you. Oh, my pleasure, TJ. Have a good weekend, man. A reminder, Big Fight Weekend is brought to you in part by Vivid Seats. Special promo code for this weekend involving these big fights. The Porter Ugas fight in L.A., the Bavol Smith fight at the Turning Stone Resort. You can take 10% off your order with the promo code BIGFIGHT10. Utilize that if you're looking to go to these fights. Save off your order up to $50 off. The maximum is $50 off. 10% off your order with the promo code BIGFIGHT10 at Vivid Seats. Seats, their app at vividseats.com. Check out your seats. Utilize Vivid Seats. Use the promo code BIGFIGHT10. We're back on Big Fight Weekend. Now, here's your host, TJ Reeves. Couple of large ones coming off this weekend as part of Big Fight Weekend, including Porter and Ugas on the Premier Boxing Champions main event on Fox coming Saturday night. But also Bivol and Smith, Dmitry Bivol of Russia, defending his light heavyweight title against Joe Smith, an American. That went on DAZN uh, at the Turning Stone Resort in Verona, New York, coming Saturday night. So doubleheader championship fights on opposite parts of the continent. A man that is going to be all about covering all of it, uh, border to border, coast to coast, and around the globe. How about that? for a build-up for BigFightWeekend.com and the purveyor of that site. The guy that is overseeing everything that goes on is back with me. He is shadowboxing over in the neutral corner. He is Marquise Johns back here on the Big Fight Weekend podcast. How you feeling? You ready for a doubleheader, championship doubleheader this weekend? How's it going? How you feeling? Pretty good, TJ. Can't wait for it. And most importantly, you cannot forget up, up, down, down, left and right. Yeah. <laughs> Especially with the controller, right? What does R1X do? I'm not even sure if that if that is a body blow anymore or an uppercut. Uh, if we're able Want to land that, the old hook shot. Yes, what get just uh, deliver whatever you can deliver, including the uh, the illegal low blow. I was always a big fan of that. If you were very tired in the fight on all the computer boxing games. Uh, so in any event, uh, before we get to the fights this weekend, you've been writing this week about the interesting developments of the heavyweight division. I've already alluded to it earlier, but uh, we now have a little bit of clarity. One, we knew that Bob Arum had signed up. 
uh, Tyson Fury under the top rank umbrella, promotional umbrella, which obviously threw a wrench into a possible rematch with Deontay Wilder for the WBC Heavyweight Championship. Then Aram goes uh, all bachelor here with a will you accept this rose, Marquise, to, to, to Deontay Wilder. Will you accept this rose? <laughs> will you come to top rank and will you fight under my umbrella and eventually this fall uh, get to fight Tyson Fury in a rematch? And lo and behold, Wilder hasn't said yes to that. And now the WBC has stepped in. So in lightness, because you've been writing about it on Big Fight Weekend, what, what's going on here? Because apparently a mandatory challenger is now involved for Wilder. Absolutely. And with Deontay Wilder not saying anything, it's really interesting in regards to that on their end. But the WBC stepped in on Wednesday and pretty much ordered uh, his title on the line to, for a mandatory defense against Dominic Brazell. So he has to face Rizal, and we're waiting for that response in regards to it. The, the reports are saying that he should be good to go in regards to because they're both on the under the premier boxing championships umbrella. Well, and they have a date. That, they have a date of May the 18th that they can utilize here. But this is a real game of chicken, isn't it? Including that if if Wilder doesn't want to do this, is the WBC going to go ahead and strip him of the belt? That's more than likely the case. What will happen if he, if, he, if he doesn't take this mandatory fight? They will strip. They, they will strip him of it. And if that happens, essentially the, the belt will become vacant, and that will put the matchup of Brazil against more than likely Dylan White, who is coming, whose name's coming back out of the woodworks, in regards to that vacant heavyweight title. All right, so uh, we we have to believe that soon, and you may already know this if you're listening to the Big Fight Weekend podcast. At the time that Marquise and I are talking, there's nothing yet from Wilder, which is very un-Wilder-like on social media, especially uh, to weigh in with this. You know, it it may be you do you know what it may be, Marquise. Uh, what's the what's the old line from all the president's men uh, with Robert Redford, Dustin Hoffman? Follow the money, or uh, maybe you prefer Cuba Gooding Jr. and Jerry Maguire. Show me the money. It Show may, me the money. It may be how much money are you paying me for this mandatory defense here against Brazil uh, for May the 18th at the Barclays Center? Maybe that's what this is all about. What do you think? The money. It may, it may have, it more likely it's going to be the person in regards to it, but you would think with them both being under the same umbrella and essentially being a mandatory fight, that, that, that wouldn't be the biggest issue in regards to it. But knowing Wilder, it, it probably is, and we'll look forward to see it. And it's interesting that they're having this fight more than likely at the Barclays Center, where essentially the last big heavyweight fight in regards to p- p- title picture, per se, has been taking place at Barclays. Uh, Wilder, right. of course... Uh, beat last week, and as you know, uh, Luis Ortiz, who called out Wilder for a rematch, and Brazil's last fight uh, was against, I want to say it was Cesar Ramon, at the Barclays Center as well, on the, yeah, on sure. the undercard for the, Char- the Charlo fight. Well, and that's a that's a staple. That is a regular stop for PBC in that arena, and Wilder has fought there two or three previous times. Uh, he's either fought there, he's fought in Las Vegas, obviously he fought Fury in Los Angeles. And I, would this be a pay-per-view fight? Probably not. It's probably going to be a Showtime fight. The interesting thing is Wilder doesn't have a deal with Showtime or with PBC per se right now, but he does want to be loyal to them, I guess, and could do that deal. Or does he want to go to top rank? Again, like The Bachelor, does he want to accept the rose and go to top rank and go fight on ESPN, ESPN Plus, and, uh, and defend the title there, and, uh, and then fight Tyson Fury in the fall? I mean, Bob Arrow's plan is he wants both of these guys to fight somebody else to build up the rematch this summer and then have the rematch in the fall. I don't know that Wilder's going to go for that. Um, uh, we will find out. So in the coming days, we should know more because obviously right now we're right around 60 days from when that fight would take place at the Barclays Center on May the 18th. And one more time, Marquise, it's interesting, the timing, because they're trying to spread out the big events. You've got Canelo Alvarez and Daniel Jacobs on the left coast in Las Vegas, Cinco de Mayo weekend, May weekend. the 4th. This would come in the middle two weeks later before Anthony Joshua's June 1st fight with Jarrell Big Baby Martin that would be across the river at Madison Square Garden uh, coming up uh, on June the 1st on Saturday night. So this fight would be sandwiched in between Canelo Jacobs and the Joshua debut in the United States. So that's another reason why everybody keeps pointing to that date, Marquise, May 18th. May 18th. It's going to be interesting in regards to the date, regards to that mainly the way that they sandwich these fights in, because they basically were trying to space out in regards to fight seasons, because you mentioned Carnello, Carnello's facing, fighting uh, Jacobs on Cinco de Mayo weekend. Yep. All right, so we'll see how that goes with the heavyweights. Now, speaking of the heavyweights, before we get to Porter and Ugas and the whole welterweight division, 
Mike Tyson, anniversary this weekend. You wrote about it on Big Fight Weekend. What about the uh, the Tyson anniversary? Because it's a significant deal, and you wrote about it. What about it? Um, Tyson's first fight was on uh, March 6th of this uh, back in 1985, where he faced off against the greatness of Hector Mercedes, who at the time was, <laughs> depending on depending on who you ask, was 0-2-1 or 0-3-0-3, courtesy of Boxing Rack in regards to it. Uh, the fight lasted pretty much the, if you see on the videos of on, on the internet and the YouTubes, the presentation of the fight of Tyson preparing for training with, with legendary trainers uh, is longer than the actual fight itself of a minute and 47 where he, Hernandez, he took a, he took a left to the body and he was down and he just pointed to the ref and was like, man, I don't want to do this no more. <laughs> and that began, the, that began the string of the first round knockouts that he had. I think it was 22. At one point, 22 for his career and Mercedes went down, stayed down. And remember, Tyson had had an amateur career, uh, had had lost in the Olympic trials in 1984 um, uh-huh. and did not get to go to the 84 Olympics. And so he eventually turned pro here with Customato is the name of uh, the legendary trainer in New York. That's who it was. So he blitzed Mercedes that night and would go on to blitz like 16 more guys by knockout in a row, something like that, 19 more, and a, and a bunch of them in the first round. That was the thing. No, in the day, including with this fight, nobody could ever get out of the first round early with Mike Tyson. That was the challenge. It became a mission at this point, and a, and a lot of them were losing on it. But my personal favorite still to this day in regards to that first fight was just reading back on it in the press clippings. He, in the local paper for a preview to fight, one, Hector uh, is not in the poser who's, who, who, who faced Tyson to begin with. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's always a bad thing. Well, you but if you're 0-2-1 oh, if you're oh, or 0-3, I don't know what kind of billing you can expect to get. But you're right. He was nowhere to be found in the promotional promo- uh, uh, poster or items. They were promoting Tyson. So you're right. It is a, it's a bad sign when you're not even being mentioned. When you're not, when you're not, when you're not, when your name's not mentioned, it's always a bad problem. My personal favorite still is the quote that he mentioned in the paper where he said, "Michael Jackson's a thriller. I'm a killer." That's all you needed to know back then about the greatness of Mike Tyson. Hey, hey, I I have to confess something right here on the Big Fight Weekend podcast because I'm a little yeah. older than you. So wait a minute, let's just date ourselves. How old would you have been? Uh, what was it? 1985 is when Thriller came out. 84 or 85? How old were you in 85? Were you on the planet or were you still a gleam in your mom and dad's eye? Were you were you with us in 85? I was probably not walking, but I was a solid two. You were a solid two. You were not up. You were not shadow boxing yet. You were not doing the road work. You were not hitting the heavy bag yet at two. Uh, not, I, not so much. I, your humble host, purchased and still own to this day somewhere in a box in the attic or in the closet Thriller on cassette. No one knows what a cassette is anymore, Marquise Johns. I have Michael Jackson's Thriller album, air quotes, on cassette. So uh, any reference wow. to Thriller that we can get to, Mike Tyson or otherwise, that's going back a ways because nobody has a, a cassette player anymore in their car, much less a portable. Say, how are you going to play that thing now? I don't. I don't. <laughs> I'm telling you, I don't even know where it is. I know I have it. I just don't know where it is. So it's hilarious that uh, that that's how far I go back. Uh, and, and of, of course, uh, Michael Jackson, obviously ultra world famous for so many decades. But that that's... Uh, uh, that's pretty hilarious. So yeah, Tyson became ultra famous too. And again, in his long career, his heavyweight championship career, all those knockouts on and on, uh, 22 of them in the first round. But the first one, what, March the 6th, 1985, right? For Tyson. Yeah, that was the very correct. first one. Almost. And I, I wrote about another anniversary on March the 6th on Wednesday earlier this week on BigFightWeekend.com. And again, this guy predates you a little bit. Wilfred Benitez was some kind of amazing junior uh, welterweight, welterweight, junior middleweight fighter fighting from 140 to 154 in the late 70s and the early 80s. Marquise, it's remarkable that the guy won a world championship. He won the, uh, the junior welterweight world championship. At the age of 17 and five months, 17 years and five months, 
That's incredible. But further incredible, the Puerto Rican-born Benitez turned pro as a 15-year-old Marquise and had fought 24 times as a professional before he was 17 and a half, basically, and fought for the title in his 25th fight. You talk about a different era for Wilfred Benitez and the guys that fought back then. 25 fights and he's 17 and a half years old. That's crazy. That is unbelievable. That is so different back then. I, the fights that were, that were talking about this weekend, like, for example, Porter versus you guys, I I think you guys only have 26 fights professionally all time ever all time <laughs> and i want to say and there's some there's some questions about ugas's age i, I want to say he's near 30 years old and again benitez so benitez goes on to win this championship uh in march of 1976 as a 17 year old and defended it three more times then he vacated it he he moved up to the welterweight division where he won again and won a welterweight world title he's got two world championships in two weight divisions and he's not not even 20 years old. Contemplate that from Wilfred Benitez. Uh, and then he eventually fought Sugar Ray Leonard in what was a fantastic 15-round fight for the fans on Big Fight Weekend. If you want something to do, to look, even if it's just the highlights, go find the highlights on YouTube. Go find that fight. Uh, Leonard, the former undefeated, the undefeated and former Olympic champion from 76. Benitez was undefeated. He's the two weight class champion. They had a great tactical fight. Lots of jabs, lots of action, lots of punching and eventually Leonard wore Benitez down he cut him he wore him down and he eventually stopped him with less than 10 seconds in the fight Leonard was winning the fight in the 15th round on the judges scorecards but it goes down as a TKO that was Benitez's first loss in in late 79 he would go on he would keep winning though after that Marquise he would go on and defeat Maurice uh, uh, Hope in the junior middleweight division, 154, by knockout. So he knocks out a junior middleweight, wins a third world title in three divisions, Man. ends up fighting Roberto Duran, my friend. You've heard of the Hands of Stone. Not, yeah. be, defeats Duran in a 15-round decision. Wilfred Benitez got to 44-1-1 and at his heyday. 44 wins, one defeat, one loss with, with beating big-time names like Carlos Palomino, Maurice Hope in the day, Roberto Duran in the day. Lost to Leonard, eventually lost to Thomas Hearns, and then his career began to slide. After that, had, had problems with his weight, had problems with his trainer, eventually fought at middleweight, uh, and ended up losing several times at the end, ended up with eight career losses. But in the day, all I'm saying to you, Mark, I wrote about this from the the history. Wilfred Benitez was smoking late seventies and early eighties for a guy for a guy to have forty four wins as he did when he defeated uh, Roberto Duran for his forty fourth win. He wasn't twenty five years old. It's incredible how often he fought and how successful Benitez was, Marquise. It really is, and in that short period of time that you you amassed that record and that level of dominance in two weight divisions, that's that's great. It really is. It's like it's like when we wrote about uh, Julio Cesar Chavez as well. He had an anniversary a couple of weeks ago of a big fight uh, that is still the record, by the way. So Benitez has the record for being the youngest champion ever. He was the first and the youngest champion at 17 years and five months old to win a world championship. Julio Cesar Chavez fought in Mexico City in front of 103,000 people, and that was amazing in and of itself. Nobody's nobody's really gotten close to that since. There have been fights in outdoor stadiums, etc. Right now, Anthony Joshua fights over at Wembley Stadium. There's 80, 85,000 people. You know, they used to have fights at the Superdome in New Orleans or different venues that would have 70, 80,000 people. This is 103,000 people. But Chavez had fought 85 times in his career before he had that title defense in Mexico. It's just nuts uh, on how often these guys fought, Marquise. It really is, and I, it makes you wonder. Like, when would? Well, obviously, it won't get back that back back to that the good old days like that because of the the, the awareness and confusion of people in regards to head injuries and right. concussions and and everything along those but, lines. But man, but back the in those money days, the money was different, and Benitez obviously needed the money, and Chavez needed the money. The money was different because you were you were not fighting for millions. You were probably lucky if you were fighting for thousands. You might be fighting for ten thousand or five thousand or three thousand dollars, and you got to keep fighting to keep make the money and fight. Six, seven, eight, ten times in a year to make the money. It had to become. It was. It was work. 
it become real work. <laughs> <laughs> we love that. All right, a few more minutes here. I know I've done a lot of talking about some of these other fights. So Porter Ugas, lay it out for me here. What's on the line? WBC, welterweight championship we know is the belt, but what are the other implications for this defense for Porter and the implications after it? What about it? In regards to that, uh, Porter is facing Ugas, and pretty much Ugas is going to be pretty much the uh, the sticking point in regards to hopefully if Porter gets past Ugas this weekend on uh, Fox with this PBC card. Uh, he's trying to get his rematch again with Keith Furman in regards to it for his title right. in, in regards to that whole big deal. Because that, Porter has mentioned on several occasions how he wants to go after Fort Furman once again. And it's, it should be interesting because Ugas mentioned that he for this fight, because he's, he's trained for this fight, as he mentioned through an interpreter, through media calls, is that he changed trainers to, to, tra- to train Fortis to become, to become world champion and take it from Porter. And he actually won on the undercard of Porter's uh, last victory when Porter captured the WBC welterweight championship. So um, uh, Ugas won on the undercard and was made the mandatory uh, challenger. So now this is the big fight. And you mentioned that that Porter-Thurman fight was a phenomenal fight. It was the fight of the year for premier boxing champions. It was voted on in the, by their fan base and all the PBC uh, people involved with the voting. It was, it was the PBC fight of the year, the 12-round uh, split decision win by Keith uh, Thurman. Thurman's been injured. Thurman is back. He won in January after a two-year layoff. Uh, he won in January, and, and I know he's very interested to see this outcome on Saturday night, because if Porter wins, that may be the next step here. These two uh, lock up for each of their belts while, while we wait to see what happens with Earl Spence, right, and Mikey Garcia next weekend for another version of the welterweight championship. Uh, Keith Thurman may have some options, and that, and that would obviously include fighting Sean Porter again, but Porter has got to get this done on Saturday night. Hopefully he gets by Ugas. Ugas' style is totally different from what he's been used to for the last few fights, so we'll see how this plays out. He did. Porter did mention, because uh, people were questioning uh, him taking this fight to begin with because no one knows who Ugas is, is, essentially, and he mentioned it in the call by saying you get past this fight by winning it, not, questioning it, not making anyone questions anything he does. And you and and Ugas again uh, gets ready to to take this fight um, coming here. He's a former amateur champion, uh, Cuban born. Again, it's believed that he's 32 years old. We keep saying this because they kept saying it around the Ortiz fight, the heavyweight that you mentioned, who wants his rematch with Wilder. Uh, Ortiz waiting in the wings won last weekend, um, but it's believed it's believed that Ortiz may be a lot older than 39 years old. He's supposedly just turning 40, but he may actually be older than that. And there's some discussion about whether or not uh, Ugas, who is to turn 33 allegedly in July, isn't actually much older than that. We'll see. He's been fighting in the amateur ranks for a while, fought in the fought in the amateur ranks uh, for over a decade and then turned pro back in 2005, as you were mentioning. So he comes in with 23 wins, three losses, 11 by knockout, not a big time puncher, but let's see what what happens and what kind of threat uh, he will be uh, in this matchup. And I'm interested in uh, in Showtime Porter, Sean Showtime Porter here on whether or not he comes out with a big showing. He had a great performance, obviously, his last time out in the unanimous decision win over Danny Garcia. Let, let's see if we see that again. Let's see if we see Porter uh, here with a 29-2-1 and and record come out and look good uh, because since that, that loss to Thurman in 2016, uh, he's got a win over uh, Andre Berto. He's got a win over Adrian Grandos, whoever that, Grandos, whoever that is. Then he beat Garcia. Yeah. And now this is the next test. You're headlining here on the PBC card, and there are big things ahead, whether that's with Thurman, whether that's maybe with Errol Spence. You know, ultimately, Terrence Crawford's name is going to come around, even though he's under the top rank promotion, kind of like what Fury is. These welterweight guys are all going to fight each other, and there's a lot on the line for Sean Porter to be part of that if he can get the win. If he gets this win, it's going to be interesting how this is going to shape up because this will shape up in regards to, well, where it comes to the picture in regards to Crawford Khan later on. And as you mentioned before, with the wrestling with, with Spence Garcia, which is the bigger fight uh, next week as well. If Porter is victorious and Thurman is waiting, that fight, and is particularly if it, ends, if it ends quickly, that fight could be on deck for late summer. This is just TJ talking. That could be something like August, maybe even September, that you could see Thurman and Porter in the rematch. Let's see. Let's see what ends up happening. Did we cover it all, my friend? We want to plug away. BigFightWeekend.com. Anything else here, Marquise Johns? 
No, that's really about it. Just BigFightWeekend.com and, of course, on Twitter at BigFightWeekend. We have all, all sorts of news articles, uh, boxing recaps, stories, analysts, anything you need, all things boxing, BigFightWeekend.com. There you go on that. You can follow Marquise, by the way, by the way at Week Sauce Radio. A little inside joke. Love the code handle. Love that. Week Sauce Radio. Find him. Follow Big Fight Weekend on Twitter. Also on Facebook at Big Fight Weekend. And go check out the website as well. Some great insight uh, from our different analysts and from Marquise. Marquise, keep up the great work. Let's see what happens with the big action this weekend. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Big Fight Weekend brought to you in part by Touch Vodka and their great different flavors of vodka. Uh, check them out at touchvodka.com for the great spirits, the great flavors. It's Touch Vodka, a proud sponsor of Big Fight Weekend. It is part of Big Fight Weekend as we rock along heading to, again, a championship doubleheader of sorts, two different locations across the North American continent as Sean Porter will fight your Dennis Ugas of Cuba Saturday night, the premier boxing champions promotion and their card on Fox uh, through most of the country. DAZN on the other side of the continent will be in New York at the Turning Stone Resort again. Dimitri Bavol and Joe Smith fighting for the WBA light heavyweight title. Maurice Hooker on the undercard defending his championship. So a lot to discuss with that. A lot of news about the heavyweights and more. And my pleasure to call back in here on the Big Fight Weekend podcast. Not from this continent, but from the one over across the pond, across the Atlantic, from Europe, from the UK. Here is the boxing writer, David Payne, back with me as part of previewing this weekend and talking about much more. Good to have you again, my friend. It's been a couple of weeks. We've got some news. We've got some championship fights coming along. How are things? Good to have you. Uh, it's great to be on again. Yeah, we had a break last week, of course. Um, I think I missed I missed our little conversation uh, today. Uh, so it's it's good to be back on the Big Fight Weekend. Thanks for the invitation. Lots to talk about. Lots to try and keep abreast of. Yeah, no doubt about that. I'm glad that you missed me. It's good to be missed every once in a while. Uh, they they have. I'll segue. They have maybe missed in California, Sean Porter for a little bit, but he's about to be in action against a Cuban contender in Ugas. This is the main event for a World Welterweight Championship portion of the World Welterweight Championship. Uh, I always love your insight. What what do you make of this with Porter favored to win? We don't know a ton about Ugas. He did win a fight on the undercard of Porter's victory over uh, Danny Garcia. That set him up as the mandatory challenger here. But what do you what do you make of this defense in the welterweight division? I think this defense is um is an interesting one in respect of it just has that that swirl that feeling um, of banana skin as, as a reference that we have over here where the port is clearly the favorite has clearly fought at a better level and beaten better opponents than Ugas on paper and then any and and Porter is much better than anyone Ugas has fought thus far in his career um, but I just have a sense that this could be a lot closer than anticipated. Um, I think Ugas has got the, the technical ability to make this difficult. And they're the kind of opponents, uh, strong uh, opponents that can box, that can cause Porter problems. And if Porter, uh, dare I suggest, has looked beyond uh, Ugas to some of the, the, the bigger names that are on the PBC uh, payroll as potential fights later in the year, then um, there, there is a risk that he could come unstuck. So um, I'm, I'm not sure what the odds are on the Ugas upset, but if they they may be a little longer than, than they ought to be. So it's it's definitely an interesting fight. I like that setup. We've talked before you've come on that Keith Thurman is obviously looming. These guys, Thurman and Porter, had a tremendous fight three years ago for what it's worth. Who knows? They're on the they're under the same promotional arm. Who knows as to whether or not a rematch would happen? But I, I like your point that. You can't you can't uh, take lightly what's in front of you. Trying to set up what's going to happen uh, down the road, so it was no different than than when Thurman made his comeback in January. He's got to worry about the guy in front of him. Josecito Lopez was that guy before he could ever get back in the ring with Porter or get a fight with, let's say, Errol Spence or Mikey Garcia. If that one were to happen, or to fight Manny Pacquiao, you got to win the one that's in front of you, and that's uh, that's Ugas coming up. On uh, on Saturday evening for that showdown. Um, well, I think I think TJ, um, 
it's an interesting echo. Yeah, Thurman was coming back off a long layoff, and Lopez was a competent, competent, strong um, opponent, and Thurman had more trouble with him than expected. A lot of that was put down to the long break that he'd had. But Ugas comes to this fight with a lot of pedigree as an amateur. He was a bronze medalist at the 2008 Olympics. He was previously a, a world champion, um, the world amateur champion at lightweight in 2005 and, and obviously has come through that Cuban system which maybe isn't producing the stars it once did um, but it's certainly still producing some very competent fighters and he's he's been around the block a little while and it's never quite happened for him and at 32 this this is his big moment um, so providing he doesn't freeze there is definitely some potential and, and some foundation to the suspicion that this could be tougher than Porter may be expecting. All right, so we'll see what happens there and in the mix. Uh, again, we've got Spence and Garcia fighting next week. Next month, April, is when Terrence Crawford is in the win- in, in the ring fighting Amir Khan. So our, our hope here is that eventually these guys, if they continue to win, start fighting each other later this year. I know it seems like it's, it's very repetitive. I have you on all the time saying the hope is these guys are going to fight each other. Just insert the names. The, ho- the hope is that some of these guys get in the ring with each other later in 2019, by the fall at least anyway. So let's see what happens um, on on that fight. Is there is there a welterweight title fight that intrigues you more than the other ones? And you can put Manny Pacquiao in the equation with Thurman and Porter and Crawford and the winner of Spence Garcia. Is there one that if you could wave a magic wand from the UK that you would like to see? Uh, well, if I could wave, uh, wave a magic wand, and it's, it's as boring to us in the UK as some of these conversations perhaps are about welterweights fighting each other in America, is we'd all... I'd love to have seen the Khan and Brook fight by now. That was a domestic clash that should have probably happened two years ago. Uh, and I'd still like to see it. Um, but there are some good welterweight fights coming up. As you say, the actual, the, the real creme de la creme are not quite facing each other. These all feel a little bit like qualifiers. Um, and we hope, as always, eternally, that we will get to see the Thurman Porter fights, and we'll get to see Pacquiao in this mix, and Errol Spence, etc. And and Crawford will be difficult because of the politics of different platforms and promoters and TV channels, etc. Um, but there's plenty of fighters on the PBC uh, platform uh, of promotional outfit, should I say, uh, to make a, a good round robin of fights. Obviously, we've got Spence Garcia forthcoming, and we've got this fight this weekend. And let's hope we do get to see the Pacquiao, Thurman, Spence. Or Garcia, Porter, etc. That round robin sooner rather than later, because we mustn't forget that these guys are now all 29, 30, 31, 32. Uh, it's uh, as we've said before, um, these don't need to marinate. To use Bob Arum's phrase, much longer. <laughs> they, they need to do it now while they're in the prime, and not let these uh, get they get a bit too ripe, and then we'll forever say, well, if they'd have fought two years ago, it may have been different. We really need to get them now while they're in the prime. I love it. Uh, I always love trying to put a smile on your face. I think I'm about to. We talked a bit before you came on, Marquise uh, Johns and I, who uh, heads up uh, BigFightWeekend.com, the website. I I actually wrote about this for Wednesday, that Wilfred Benitez uh, made boxing history on Wednesday 43 years ago. Am I that old, David Payne, the boxing writer, (laughs) that Benitez won in 1976 and became the youngest champion ever, youngest world champion ever at 17 years, five months, Uh, went on to win a couple of more spectacular fights, fought Sugar Ray Leonard heroically and lost on a 15th round stoppage, a a stoppage in the final 10 seconds of the fight. Turned right around, though, after that and scored another victory over the legendary Roberto Duran. The great thing, and then he eventually lost to Thomas Hearns. The great thing, and I think I've talked to you about this before, is those guys were all willing to fight each other. Benitez, Leonard, they were both undefeated, willing to fight each other. Leonard was willing to fight Duran. Hearns was willing to fight Leonard. Uh, Hearns and Duran fought. Hearns and Benitez fought. So that's the, I, mean, I know I'm going in the way back machine for the millennials, the sub 30 year olds, but I mean, this used to happen, and it was a great thing, David, and the hope is that some of that can happen again in and around the welterweight division. Uh, absolutely. Uh, I think I referenced the, the the incredible trio of fighters that Sugar Ray Leonard had fought by the time he was 24, and here we are still waiting for some of these guys to have that 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 big uh, defining fight, and they're 30. So it was a remarkable period. We, we mustn't forget that it did occur over 
the best part of a decade, that, those round-robin and fights between all those guys. But Benitez is often the one, certainly for the mainstream, for the more casual fan that is forgotten or overlooked. Um, uh, even even newbies to the sport will know the names Hagler and Leonard and Hearns, but uh, Benitez is often uh, the one that's left behind. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's, there's all... There's all manner of fighters that newbies to the sport should go back and, and look up sure. and, and and try and try and um, get some sense of of what it used to be like. There's some great fighters around these days, but boy, there were some good fighters in the 70s and 80s. Remarkable but, uh, that Benitez fought 24 times between the age of 15 and 17 professionally. 15 year old, 16 year old, 17 year old. And then won the title, and and by the time he beat Roberto Duran, he had fought forty five times and wasn't twenty five years old. David, it's incredible how how active these guys used to be back in the day. I know we're making it out that way. Well, yeah, it's it's in, in that regard. Um, I think that's that's the biggest difference between the current um, boxing landscape uh, or the way that things are and the way that things used to be and uh, I hate to be of that age that we start to talk about the way that things used to be because I remember as a youngster hearing that and rolling my eyes uh, when when parents and older family members used to talk about older fighters etc but um, yes I'm now of the generation where we can talk about the way things used to be uh, I go back through the mist of time it's incredible to think of these 40 odd years obviously you and I were but children at the time, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's staggering. And, and some of the topics we'll come on to soon, it's, it's amazing how quickly time passes. So pay attention, kiddies out there, because you're soon old men like TJ. <laughs> I'm glad you included yourself in that. I'm becoming a rapidly old man, including uh, later this week. All right, one more big title fight. Actually, two of them on the same card. I know you have written uh, for the WBO Junior Welterweight title. This is 140, the notch below Porter and Thurman and Spence and Garcia and Terrence Crawford that we keep talking about and Manny Pacquiao. Maurice Hooker uh, fighting Mikel Lapierre uh, in a 12-round title fight uh, on that undercard on DAZN. I know you've written about that one. Then the main event, Bavol and Joe Smith Jr. Bavol, the Russian, is the defending champ. Joe Smith Jr. most notably defeated Bernard Hopkins. He basically retired Bernard Hopkins back about three years ago in Hopkins' final fight. Uh, lost his title, now trying to regain a version of the light heavyweight title. So an interesting doubleheader that you've got you've got Porter and Ugas on one part of the continent in California. You've got this going on simultaneously all the way on the other part of the continent in the Northeast in New York. Interesting doubleheader real quick on, on that one, on uh, on DAZN in the United States and over in the UK on TV too. Yeah, the, 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 the Bivol Smith fight should be fun because uh, Joe's a, a big rugged guy. Uh, with with a punch and he'll he'll come and give it a real go. Bivol is obviously the one with the pedigree and supposedly the future, um, but it, it it it's again has got some ingredients could make, could make it a fun contest. Bivol could make it easy, um, but you'd think that Joe Smith will do everything to make sure that it isn't. Um, he's that kind of rugged guy that um, is not especially polished, um, but he's big, strong, game, durable, uh, and he packs a punch. So. That again, as I mentioned, has got has got the ingredients to be a tasty one. And the the other the other contest at like welterweight, um, I'm expecting uh, Hooker to come through uh, and probably come through inside the distance. Um, Mikel Pierre is has been on the circuit a while. Brooklyn, a uh, doctored son of Brooklyn, um, originally from Trinidad. He'll come and have a go. He's got decent reflexes, but uh, and I, I personally think that Hooker gives punches a chance uh, because he leaves his chin in one place and he's a bit lazy with his left hand after his jab but he can punch and once he gets someone hurt he tends to finish them off and I expect that that will happen so there might, there might be some fun exchanges in that um, where where Les Pierre um, I think that's how you pronounce it um, perhaps stuns him occasionally with a couple of counters but I think uh, Hooker will be too Tall, too long, too strong, and uh, we'll put him away. But again, that should that should be a fun fight. Um, but I'd like to see Hooker move on to something a bit more substantial next. 
You're hearing the voice of David Payne, the boxing writer. He's written a preview for that Maurice Hooker, uh, Lapierre, a uh, 12-round WBO Junior Welterweight Championship. Uh, plug away. Where can they find that preview, by the way, if they're hearing us on Big Fight Weekend? Is that on the freebets.net that you've got that one there? No, not, th- not this time. It'll be on gambling.com when it emerges. Um, All right. Your side of the pond, um, that's the that's the gambling site over there. So look out for that. It should, it should um, drop, as the youngsters say, <laughs> at some point. At some point overnight, obviously subject to when you're listening to the to the podcast. Um, but All yeah, right. th- Thursday night. Thursday night here, so um, Thursday afternoon, Thursday night your time. All right, so gambling.com. You can find out more about that fight and who might to wager on and what David's thoughts are uh, on that one. All right, some fun stuff about the heavyweights. We still don't know at this point. It may change in and around the time that you're hearing the podcast, if you're hearing it through the weekend and into Saturday, if Deontay Wilder wants to take this fight with Dominic Brazel. Let's suppose that he does. Let's suppose that he wins it. Some of the new news is that not only has Wilder been offered an opportunity to go to top rank and Bob Arum, but also Dillian White from the UK apparently is mulling over a similar offer or opportunity. Tyson Fury has already signed on. These are all heavyweights we're talking about. What do you make of this? And you're hearing maybe some different chatter uh, in England and in the UK about this. What are you hearing about this and how it sets up for who fights Wilder, when do when do Wilder and Fury fight again? And is somebody waiting out Anthony Joshua as well? What about all of that, David? Uh, I think the Dillian White to uh, top rank is is essentially a done deal, if I'm not mistaken. So um, I think we when we we spoke a couple of weeks ago, we're, we're fast approaching a time where we we may have to dis dispel the uh, WBC, the, the WBA, IBF, and we'll, we'll just have a design world champion and we'll have a top-ranked world champion or a <laughs> showtime world champion, and, they, and at some point they may meet um, because they seem to be disappearing into their silos or their bunkers, um, and it's hard to see how they can ever meet um, until the money is so enormous, which has only really been done twice in history, of course, which was Lewis Tyson and Pacquiao Mayweather. The HBO side of it is out of the picture now, but it, it, it would take a similar uh, uh, reaching across the table to make that deal, uh, and the table seems to get wider all the time. Um, Dillian White is a very capable heavyweight. He's become a great deal better over the last two or three years. He's fought a good level of competition, um, and you could argue that he's probably fought better opponents than anyone else out there. Uh, aside from Anthony Joshua over the last 18 months. Um, so he can feel some frustration that having got as close as he probably feels he did to a Wilder fight or, or being um, a Wilder being unable to escape fighting him, that might be an easy way to put it, um, that that's gone away now. So his, his, uh, his next prize is to get on the top rank, and I'm not sure what promises he's been made on that basis because he was offered quite a lot of money to fight Joshua in April, that fight dissolved because um, he thought he was worth more money, which is his prerogative, of course. Um, but he has manoeuvred himself into a great position and then found that everyone else has got different dance partners or different platforms. And he's going to presumably be built as an attraction in his own right, which will be interesting to see how they can do that, him and Fury, and, um, and not bring them together, which I don't think is the best fight for either either fighter really in terms of the money it can generate because as American attractions if they're going to try and build them as American attractions a Brit fighting a Brit is presumably a tough sell in America Um, stylistically they're going to be awkward for each other Uh, and if you bring it back to the UK you kind of pluck them straight out of the American market they're trying to work on so I can imagine that they're going to plough different furrows so I'm not sure what what Path White is on. Who is heading towards? He's not got him any nearer Joshua, and I'm not sure it's got him any nearer Wilder. But we will see. We will see. The WBC seem powerless. Um, just want to cling on and cash the check as wherever they can cash a check. <laughs> uh, um, but they seem powerless to actually impose or, 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 or mandate anything meaningful, really. 
Well, they, they supposedly have imposed this fight on Wilder. Let's see if he agrees to it. Let's see if May 18th is the date, like we keep talking about, where it's sandwiched right in between the Canelo-Jacobs fight on May 4th and then Joshua and uh, Jarrell Big Baby Martin are fighting June 1st at Madison Square Garden. Let's see if all of that comes off on the schedule. few more moments here with the Boxing Writer. Again, you can follow uh, David Payne at BoxingWriter.co.uk on the web. That's his website. His Twitter handle, The Boxing Writer, on social media. Uh, They'll love to get some insight from him. He's a frequent guest here on this podcast. Love having him. All right, this is good stuff because you and I love the nostalgia and I already went back to Wilfred Benitez earlier in the week and even Mike Tyson's debut uh, came in 1985 on Wednesday of the week that we're talking here. He scored a first round knockout in his debut. Way before that though, there was this guy named Ali and Ali, 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 Ali and Frazier fought at that very hallowed Arena, Madison Square Garden, on March the 8th, 1971, almost 50 years ago now, Ali Frazier 1 took place. Uh, David, I, I know uh, from a distance, I mean, this one grabbed worldwide attention. The impact of it is still being talked about decades and decades later. It was the first of their trilogy of fights, the first real mega fight. Um, but what, what else do you want to say about uh the the late Muhammad Ali the late Joe Frazier and this uh this epic fight that they had back in 1971 that set tremendous fights huge paydays pay-per-views and things like that into motion oh there's there's so many facets of that fight that you could dedicate a podcast to um in isolation um just just conjure if you will a, a picture where you've got two unbeaten guys, both with legitimate claims to being the heavyweight champion of the world, of the quality of Frazier and Ali, going at it age 27, 29, something like that, wherever they were in 71, for 15 hard rounds at Madison Square Gardens. It, it doesn't really get any better than that, does it? Um, and it's astonishing to think that all that time has passed and the legend of the fight lives on, of course. Um, to loop it back to the modern day, that's what some of these guys risk missing out on. If they don't fight their, their illustrious contemporaries and they opt for the second-tier fights, their names don't echo down through the decades in the way that Ali's and Fraser's have. And as we've talked a lot already about kind of moving on in life and maturity and more years and a few more grey hairs, TJ, uh, certainly for me, I'm not so sure about you, but um, <laughs> I think what... what on that journey, I've learned to appreciate Joe Frazier much more than perhaps I did when I first became interested in boxing. Obviously, Muhammad Ali was the ultimate star, the one that was quotable, the one that you saw, the one that was the superstar. Um, but it, it's almost possible to forget that Frazier won this fight, won the first fight when they were arguably both as close to their peak as at any time of the three contests. And he won, and he floored Ali in the 14th. It was staggering that he got up, of course. Um, and I used to, when when those classic conversations, those water cooler conversations or bar talk conversations about who would beat who, and you'd throw up the Lennox Lewis and the size and all that kind of thing. But Joe Fraser, 205 pounds of absolute hell on earth for 15 rounds. And um, I've, I've grown to believe he would have beaten a lot of the guys that at once upon a time, I thought he would be too small for because the the will of the man, the power, um, just an incredible fighter. So that, that that would be the thing that I'd, because you could think to talk about a hundred different parts of it, as I mentioned, but the thing that I think echoes back to me at the moment, perhaps it's my time in life, is just Joe Fraser, just that he could beat Muhammad Ali 15 rounds, just a phenomenal fighter. And I think sometimes... Uh, whilst not forgotten, he's uh, he's underestimated just how great he was. Sure. And, of course, Ali, redemption after that. A lot of people don't remember that the second fight was a 10-round fight because Frazier had... A non-title fight. A non-title fight. Ali Frazier 2 was a non-title fight over 10 rounds. Yeah, right. They had, a non, they had a non-title fight that Ali round. won, and it's almost like glossed over because Frazier had the dramatic... 15-round first-ever loss pinned on Ali. They fight the 10-round non-title fight that Ali wins that nobody really remembers, and then they fight one of the epic fights in boxing history, uh, the Thrill in Manila, where it was 105 or maybe 115 degrees in that arena, and they they very nearly killed each other, not just figuratively, but literally uh, pounding each other. 
uh, pounding each other, unfortunately, even into later uh, health problem and, and brain problem, probably, from that fight. Just an epic series of fights that began... 48 years ago now this week at the time that we're taping the podcast with Ali and Frazier, and it really did. We can't oversell this. It set the stage for all the mega heavyweight title fights and pay-per-views and the old the old closed circuit is what it used to be. You'd have to go to a movie theater or something like that in the United States or wherever in the world, you in Europe or wherever, uh, to go and watch. All of that was set into motion by Ali and Frazier and the importance and, and the magnitude of, of what they did by getting in the ring. So great to great to go back with this. All right, so I'm going to just have fun with you for a second off the cuff here on this. Uh, Ali fights Lennox Lewis. N- no contest. Ali, yes or no? What do you think? Oh, it's, it's, uh, it's definitely a contest. It's definitely a fight. Um, uh, wasn't expecting this, but yes, that's 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 a conversation. Smaller, I've had many t- smaller Joe Frazier against Lennox Lewis. Trouble. Oh, I, I I think Lewis can keep him at bay, but boy, it would be difficult. Um, and there'll be people out there throwing their hands in the air and shouting at the phone <laughs> or the, whatever because they can't believe I've gone against Frazier and Lewis lost, of course, in a couple of fights to punches. Um, but I think I would, Lewis just, I'm not going to say size, technically very good and had a great jab and good good leverage on his punches. So I think he would, he would have, um, he would have had enough for Fraser, but, uh, yeah, great. What what, the one I always think about when these kind of mythical matchups is Fraser Holyfield. And <laughs> interesting. More so yeah. than Frazier Tyson, who were kind of built alike. Both had the wicked left hook. You, you, you think more of Frazier and Holyfield and who wins that one is the, as the uh, I, I, hypothetical. I think, I think again, I, 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 it may be, it may be personality and character is coming into it for me. That's influencing it. But um, I take Frazier over um, Tyson every day of the week. Um, and again, there'll be people just laughing out loud or, or screaming at that at that suggestion because, of course, Tyson had to hand speed advantage. But I just think when he starts hitting Joe and realizes Joe's not going anywhere and he's going to keep coming, I think he would break Tyson's heart. But he wouldn't break Evander's heart. That would be just the immovable object and the irresistible force. I, I can't conjure how that would end. Perhaps a draw. <laughs> because that would have been ferocious, salacious, and 15 rounds, of course. Um, Holyfield was one of the last guys to be fighting over that distance too, so there's no arguments over whether he could have gone the extra three rounds. So that that would have been a, a phenomenal fight. No doubt. A few more moments with David Payne here again. Anthony Joshua will come to the United States for the first time, defending his three versions of the heavyweight championship belts uh, against Big Baby Martin uh, from New York, June first at the Garden. And you even have you want to slide something else in while I'm talking Ali Frazier, the Garden, and all the great fights, including the great heavyweight title fights. You got well, something else yeah, for me? Something, yeah, something else that um, probably. Um, Puts to, pulls together all the different threads that we've talked about, the age, the passing of time, how quickly it goes, um, and some of the names that we've already mentioned. Uh, it's 20 years next week since Lewis Holyfield ended in a draw at Madison Square Gardens. Ah, um, yes. 20 years ago. So that's, that again, staggering to me. And another uh, famous fight at Madison Square Gardens, of course, is uh, going to be 23 years old this year, which was a really bogolotta. So... That that is one of the all-time mayhem post-fight memorable scenes uh, ever. I still remember watching that live. Uh, I do. I I remember watching uh, uh, Lewis um, and that fight with Bo uh, that you're mentioning, uh, or Lewis Holyfield. I'm sorry, in 1999. But I I remember more the Bo Galata one. Uh, just for the anarchy after the fight, um, <laughs> watching that live, and it's it's amazing that uh, most 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 people remember that something happened in the fight, and actually it was a low blow and a disqualification that led to the mayhem. But yeah. everybody remembers the mayhem much more yeah, well, from that one well, in the garden. They, can can you imagine a Bo Galotti fight if it was taking place in 2019 with the ability for things to go viral? Oh. And, how, and how that video of uh, Galotta just repeatedly smashing Bo in the uh, 
coconuts, shall we say, um, <laughs> uh, again disqualified. And he did it twice. He did it back to back. He Galotta was winning both fights against a very, very good Riddick Bow, who were, again um, is perhaps uh, one of those fighters we don't remember as fondly because he didn't fight the people he perhaps should have fought. Obviously, he fought Holyfield twice, but we never get, got to see Tyson fights. We never got to see the Lennox Lewis fight in the professional ranks. So, um, yeah, that kind of those couple of fights bring back together some of the threads that we've talked about about how quickly time moves on. That it's it's now twenty years since Lewis Holyfield, and mm. uh, that's and that was controversial in its own way too, of course, because of the very hotly disputed draw decision when most people felt that Lewis had done plenty enough to to win the fight. So uh, there's some some history there. Yeah, no doubt about that. All right, so we get ready for the action this weekend. Porter Ugas is the welterweight showdown in California. Bivol and Smith with Maurice Hooker on the undercard are the fights, the title fights that are in New York. David Payne, I always love your insight. Promote again uh, uh, social media and otherwise where we can read you and find you on the web, etc., because I want fans to gravitate to what you have out there, not just what they're hearing here. Oh, well, that's very kind of you, of course. You can find uh, most of my work at boxingwriter.co.uk. Um, you can reach out to me on social media. I tend to be on Twitter more than anything else. I'm not young enough for Instagram and such things. So find me at The Boxing Writer. Uh, and occasionally I'm do- pretty much doing weekly previews on uh, freebets.net or gambling.com. And occasionally I'm right about them. It's not every time, but they're fun to write. And uh, yeah, so catch up with my work there. And- And thanks, as always, for the invitation. It's great to talk to you again. Yes, sir. Again, gambling.com is where he's got the Maurice Hooker, Mikel LePierre uh, preview for their World Junior Welterweight title fight. That is the co-feature on the undercard of the Bavol Joe Smith championship fight, light heavyweight championship fight on DAZN in the United States. Let's see what happens. We we still hold out hope here, especially for the welterweights, that all these guys are going to go against each other. Uh, and we may get that, that Thurman-Porter rematch could be coming later this summer in the fall for what was such a great fight three years ago. We'll find out. Uh, David, thank you. I always appreciate spending some time with you. Let's do this again soon here as part of Big Fight Weekend, sir. Of course. Look forward to it. Take care, TJ. And that will do it for this edition of Big Fight Weekend. Thanks again to all of the guests joining us. All the way back at the beginning, Keith Eidek, BoxingScene.com. Again, he's covering Bavol Smith. Maurice Hooker also is the co-feature for the junior welterweight title before the Bavol Smith light heavyweight championship fight. Those fights on DAZN on Saturday evening. Uh, we appreciate Keith jumping on board. Also, Maurice Johns, BigFightWeekend.com. We'll have all the coverage of all the fights this weekend, including Porter Ugas for the uh, World Welterweight Championship that's going to be unfolding. Uh, And also, David Payne. Love talking about the historical part of boxing with David. You can read his preview for that Maurice Hooker uh, showdown for the Junior Welterweight Championship at gambling.com. A free plug there. David has got his own site as well, boxingwriter.co.uk, writing out of the U.K., Um, And again, uh, I always love him coming on, whether he's talking heavyweights with me like he was here on this episode and all the fights that are transpiring. So again, we thank all of our guests for being with us. We thank you for being with us as well. Enjoy the fights this weekend. I'm TJ Reeves. Thank you for being with us. A reminder, whether you found us through RadioInfluence.com, subscribe, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. It is Big Fight Weekend. This is a Landry football with Chris Landry. Quick fix on Radio Influence. There's a lot of talk about the Kyler Murray situation and the reports about he had bad interviews. Let me say this about interviews. First of all, information being leaked. You hear me say it all the time. It's lying season. A lot of people will throw a lot of things out there. I'm not saying this is the case and all that, but I'm going to go back. To what I always say, and I say this every year around draft time. Those who know don't talk. Those who talk don't know. So be weary of what you hear out there. Here's the thing. It's anonymous sources. Well, what teams are we talking about? And who on those teams tell you that? Because, you know, why would I care about a, a report about something from a team unless I know who it is on that, that team that's saying it? Because there are a lot of people in, in this league that I don't have a whole lot of respect for. I don't have high regard for their opinions, but there's some that I do. So without knowing who it is, 
I, I just can't put any stock much stock into it. Now, I'm not saying it's not true or that's not how they felt. I can't confirm or deny that. What I can tell you is, A, it's very possible you could have good meetings and bad meetings. I said, I think I said it on Tuesday's podcast. I know I said it in some radio interviews, but I'll, I'll just say it here in case, in case I didn't. Is I did set in on a meeting with Kyler Murray with one of the teams and thought it did okay. Wasn't exceptional. Certainly not, you know, awful. You know, so I wouldn't overreact to that. And yes, yes is the answer to the question. Do we get a lot of negativity this time of year? Do we get a lot of floating things out for purpose? Yes. Maybe they're getting some key information from key decision makers, but they're floating information out differently for the purposes of throwing you off the scent. Chris Landry brings you Landry football every week on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and, of course, RadioInfluence.com.